Welcome to the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries Podcast, brought to you by Interactive Legal. Here's your host, Mary Vandenack. Welcome to today's episode of Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries, a weekly podcast discussing updated legal news as well as evolving methods of providing legal service. I'm Mary Vandenack, founder and CEO at Vandenack Weaver Trulson, and I will be your host as we talk to experts from around the country about legal and tax issues, trusts and estates, business succession and exit planning, legal technology, law practice management and leadership, and well-being. First, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. Here's a message from Interactive Legal. Technology has become an essential part of our daily lives. However, not all fields have embraced technology. Lawyers, especially estate planning attorneys, need to stay up to date with specific laws and any issues affecting taxes and wealth preservation. Implementing an automated drafting system can help lawyers spend more time with their clients and less time doing back office tasks. Estate planners and law professionals turn to Interactive Legal as their main resource for the latest planning strategies. Interactive Legal provides the most comprehensive productivity system on the market with an easy-to-use document drafting system, extensive continuing education, thought-provoking discussion forums, and more. With Interactive Legal, attorneys get to spend more time with their clients. It's time to connect, collaborate, and create. To learn more about Interactive Legal, visit interactivelegal.com. Wealth planning focuses on liquidity management and charges you a fee based on a percentage of your assets. But entrepreneurs typically invest in their business, resulting in light liquidity. That requires a unique strategy. At Carson Private Client, we provide a proactive and holistic strategy for building and protecting your wealth. Our mission is to alleviate the stresses and the burdens of coordinating all of those financial strategies. Carson Private Client will work with your current team of advisors to customize a strategy that manages all aspects of your life and wealth, giving you back the time to focus on what matters most. Complex needs require sophisticated solutions. Reach out to our office at 402-779-8989 to schedule your consultation. Investment advisory services offered through CWM LLC, an SEC-registered investment advisor. On today's episode, my guest is Crystal Patterson, General Counsel with Gulfstream Commercial Services, a full-service commercial real estate development company, is located in Kentucky. Crystal has joined me previously on episodes. We did one on caring for yourself while caring for others. And a couple, we've done another one in that area. Today, I asked Crystal to join me to talk about the concept of what's your legacy? Thanks for joining me today, Crystal. Thanks for inviting me, Mary. So the word legacy, and as an estate planner, typically gets people to think of like a very specific context. I'm going to leave a monetary gift after I've passed away. Is that what we're going to talk about in this context today, Crystal? Mary, I'm glad you asked the question because legacy actually has many meanings, even though most people probably approach it in the way that you've just described. 
To prepare for this podcast, I consulted several dictionaries to see how the word legacy is officially defined. And my favorite series of definitions was actually found in the Macmillan Dictionary from our elementary years. <laughs> um, the first definition that appears, of course, is the one that you just described. It's, quote, money or property that you arrange for someone to have after you die. That's the definition you alluded to, and it's the one that probably most people, including lawyers, think of in relation to the word legacy. And in some ways, that's the easy one. This is taking the monetary wealth you've accumulated during your lifetime and gifting it to others, whether that be family, friends, a charity, or someone else with whom you've shared a meaningful connection. These come in the form of bequests of wills, trust funds established for the benefit of children and grandchildren, and lifetime and upon gifts to charities. There are a million resources out there on how to do this and an equal number of entities and individuals who will happily receive this kind of legacy. But that's not what I really want to talk about today. I actually want to delve into the other definitions of legacy. So, so what is, second, oh yeah, sorry, I was going to just ask you. So what is the other definition of legacy that you want to use? So there are several others that I want to touch on today. The second one that appears in the Macmillan Dictionary is, quote, something such as a tradition or problem that exists as a result of something that has happened in the past, end quote. This one is intriguing to me because this is where traditions and family patterns come into play. Notably, the definition includes both the word tradition, which most people perceive to be a positive thing, and the word problem, which connotes something negative. Let's start with traditions. So examples of this include, we always eat cheese fondue on New Year's Eve. Our law firm hosts a client entertainment party every 4th of July at the lake. Our extended family reunion occurs every year on the third Saturday in July on Mobile Bay. Or our company hosts an employee appreciation event at the annual air show on the Ohio River. These are the things we do during our lifetime with the hope that others will follow suit, keep the practice alive, and then pass that practice down to others. The definition also includes, however, the word problem. And I highlight this because that means a legacy can also have a negative aspect to it. The example given in the dictionary is, quote, the war left an enduring legacy of bitterness and suspicion. This example is easily translated to other contexts, such as their father's alcoholism left an enduring legacy of mistrust and instability. I think this is important because as we focus on intentional living and trying to leave a positive legacy, we also have to be mindful that our actions may inadvertently leave a negative legacy. So what I'd like to know, is there a definition of legacy as it might pertain to a professional context? Yes, there is. And that brings us to the third dictionary definition of legacy. Quote, something that someone has achieved that continues to exist after they stop working or die, end quote. So these are the things we do at work that have an impact long after we've left the workplace. There are things like building a family business that continues to operate after the founder has retired or passed away. This kind of legacy also includes professional articles and speeches that someone 20 years from now cites in their research paper. They're the workplace and political policies that continue to be used for decades after you help design and implement them. They're the laws that politicians and grassroots advocates enact to address a specific problem. And they're the case law decisions rendered in response to litigation you've handled that will be relied upon for lawyers for the next 100 years. I think intellectually we're drawn to this kind of legacy because it's like a financial legacy. It's got a more tangible form. It's something that could be printed and cited. Sometimes these kinds of legacies are named after the people who champion them. Think about family-owned businesses. Think of Cargill, Pillsbury, Lunds. Those are all family names. 
And then think about some specific laws. So for example, the Brady Act, which is the federal law requiring background checks on individuals before they purchase firearms from certain federally licensed dealers, manufacturers, and importers. This law was named after James Brady, which is Ronald Reagan's press secretary who was shot and left paralyzed during a 1981 assassination attempt on Ronald Reagan. That is his legacy. And then there's Megan's law, which was named for the federal law um, and then subsequent state laws that require law enforcement to make information available to public to the public regarding registered sex offenders. This law was named after Megan Kanka, who was murdered by a sex offender. So these are some of the ways that um, legacy pertains to a professional context. And I'm just going to mention knowing you and I was having a conversation with somebody this week about saying, you know, talking about for the longest time in my career, I wanted to be known for being really good at what I do, but I always was known because I care about well-being and technology and I teach yoga and mindfulness and all that. But those are really, actually have realized how those are important and distinguishing factors. And I would just note that that's while you're a great attorney, you are also leaving a legacy in the form of really caring about the profession and how we function within the profession. And I think that's part of where this topic is even coming from. Are there any other definitions of legacy that we wanna be thinking about? I agree with that, Mary, that that is something that I'm committed to. And I, I appreciate that in you as well. Um, and yeah, I think there are a couple of more definitions of legacy that Merritt mentions. So um, the fourth one that appears in the Macmillan Dictionary is quote, the principle that a thing which exists as a result of something that happened in the past can later be used in a different way. So this is the idea that something which served one purpose can later be used in another way. Construction for the Olympic Games is the perfect example of this. Countries invest millions of dollars in infrastructure to capitalize on the economic and social benefits of hosting the Games. But then they're left with buildings that in some instances just become white elephants. I visited Barcelona in October and saw how that city has turned its Olympic legacy into a positive thing by repurposing those Olympic buildings into usable public parks, swimming complexes, and shopping centers. This example translates to real life in that sometimes we receive things that at first blush seem to have no application to our life, but when we consider them in alignment with our life goals, they make perfect sense. Take, for example, a family farm that your grandfather and father owned and worked. You might not be an ag producer at heart, but you might have a passion for opening a country in. Instead of being a white elephant, that family farm now becomes the setting for you to build your own family business and then create your own subsequent legacy therefrom. So as, as somebody who's in the heart of farm country, I just have to mention that I had a conversation last week with somebody who was talking about the agricultural business that wasn't as familiar with it. And we were talking a little bit about how you actually... To the extent of farmers, that legacy, they will still refer to land that they own based on who owned it a hundred some years ago. It'll be the, you know, Gorin 25 acres or whatever the case might be, because those that's who owned it a hundred some years ago and their grandparents bought it from them and they keep referring it to that way. So I always find that concept of legacy and farming interesting, but is there another It's funny that you mentioned that, Mary, because I grew up in the countryside of Minnesota and that's actually how we learned directions when I was driving. It was like drive five miles on this road and take a right at the Hadia farm and then take a left, you know, exactly <laughs> farm. And so the, again, those, those legacies did continue just in the names, even for directions. So my hometown had no street names when I was growing up. And so to this day, now they've named the streets 
and my brother still lives in that town. And so if I'm giving somebody directions, it's still just like that because I have never learned the street names. Yeah. Because why would you? You just know where the big oak tree is. <laughs> I think you had a, one more definition of legacy you were going to share with us. Yes. So last but not least, there's this definition. Something, quote, still used, although it is no longer the most modern or advanced, because it would be very expensive or difficult to replace, end quote. So this definition, I think, usually has a negative connotation, such as the legacy computer system that your law firm keeps using because migrating the files to a new system would be costly and time consuming. I like to think of this, however, as the handwritten homemade bread recipe from my mom. Yes, there are more newer and exciting recipes for homemade bread out there on the Internet, but this one would be very difficult for me to replace because of my personal sensory memories associated with it. So that's quite a few definitions of legacy. And I have to say, as an estate planner, uh, at this point in my career, it's really part of the joy of what I do is that we do spend time talking about the legacy pieces, especially when we're doing philanthropy and some projects like that. But how does somebody decide what their legacy is going to be? So that's a great question, Mary. Um, Author Mark Twain once said that the two most important days of your life are the day that you're born and the day that you figure out why. So considering what you want your legacy to be means delving into that second question, the why. So I think there's a few different ways to determine your why and what your legacy might be. First, I would encourage people to consider what their passions are. What are the things that mean more to you than anything else in the world? There might be a few obvious ones. So let's take, for example, your family. You might believe that you are here simply to be the best parent possible for your children. For some people, it might be their career. Perhaps their singular goal is to make a profound mark in their profession by starting a magnet school drafting and passing important legislation, or painting a canvas so magnificent that it hangs in a museum. The, uh, the options here are really endless. Or it could be their faith and their religion. It could be that serving their faith through volunteer work is what motivates them more than anything. So I think focusing on your passions and what really means the most to you is probably the obvious starting point. And before you go on to the next phase of that process, I just want to comment on one thing, because I am a person who is passionate about my career. And I had went through an experience where somebody passed away a week ago, and I got to connect with some people I hadn't seen in like 25 years who asked me, you know, um, how's your life been? I'm like, you know what, I've had a really great life, and got to talking about my career, and caught myself saying something that I actually didn't realize, is if I had it to do over again, I would do exactly the same thing. I don't know how many people can say that about their career. So in all the discussion about work-life balance, I say if you have a career that you absolutely love and you're drawing your energy from that career, sometimes, you know, you don't, I'm not the person who wants to go sit for two weeks on a beach because I'll actually use my time off to do some of that writing or things like that. So I, I just like to throw that in there that you can have a career that you're passionate about and that can be part of a work-life balance and a different way and different times. I think that's fantastic, Mary. And I totally agree with you because I feel the same way about my career. And I think you do the same thing in terms of balancing it within the career. Mm -hmm, exactly. And we had a great time when I saw you in Alaska, right? <laughs> so we take exactly. some great trips along the path with our careers. Right. We are going to take a brief break from our episode for a word from one of our sponsors. At Foster Group. 
we know there are more important things than money. There's the joy of providing a lovely home for your family, the excitement of an early retirement, the relief knowing that an unexpected emergency won't ruin your finances. At Foster Group, we're invested in the things that make life, life, and how to get there. Foster Group, your financial life, truly cared for. Connect with us at fostergrp.com. Foster Group's written disclosure brochure, as set forth in Part 2A of Form ADV, discusses advisory services and fees, is available at www.fostergrp.com. Okay, let's continue our episode. So I think a second area where you can help identify the legacy is to look at your personal goals. So in the podcast we did together on caring for yourself or caring for others, I talked about my process of setting annual goals for myself and how I track my progress throughout the year. But when I set my goals each year, I also go back and look at last year's goals and and the year before that. And, And why do I do that? Well, that's because I think there's certain themes or things that if they come up again and again, Well, that repeated emphasis on those topics probably means it's something that I hold dear to me. So I would encourage people who go through that process to pay attention to those goals that keep coming up year after year. They probably will align with the clues that you're picking up in other areas of things that are important to you. Next, I would consider um, doing what I guess um, Stephen Covey calls the quote obituary exercise, which sounds a little morbid, but it actually can be pretty uplifting. So it's where you imagine your funeral and you ask questions about who would give a eulogy? What would people say that they miss about you? What positive attributes would they associate with you? And how would they describe you? So while preparing for this podcast, I researched some obituaries and I found some that completely hit the mark on this. Um, I have a good sense of humor, as you know, Mary. So the ones that I like the most have a healthy dose of self-awareness in them. And I just want to read some highlights from one that I thought was particularly good. Um, So, quote, this is not an ad for a pawn shop, but an obituary for a great woman, mother, grandmother and great grandmother who was born on May 12, 1921 in Toronto the daughter of the late Pop Alexander C. and Granny Norris. She leaves behind a very dysfunctional family that she was very proud of. Pat was world-renowned for her lack of patience, not holding back her opinion, and a knack for telling it like it is. She always told you the truth, even when it wasn't what you wanted to hear. It was the school of hard knocks for her, and yes, we were told many times how she had to walk for miles in a blizzard to get to school, so just suck it up. With that said, she was genuine to a fault, a pussycat at heart, and yet she sugarcoated nothing. Her extensive vocabulary was more than highly proficient at knowing more curse words than most people learned in a lifetime. She liked the four-letter words as much as she loved her rock garden. And trust us, she loved to weed that garden with us as her helpers back when child labor was legal, or at least so we were told. Her words of encouragement, wisdom, and sometimes comfort kept us in line, taught us the, quote, school of hard knocks, and gave us something to pass down to our children. You always knew where you stood with her. She either liked you or she didn't. It was black or white. As her children, we're still trying to figure out which one it was for each of us, although we all know she loved us. She was a master cook in the kitchen. She believed in overcooking everything until it chewed like rubber so you would never get sick because all germs could be nuked. Freezing germs also worked, so by Friday, our school lunch sandwiches were hard and chewy, but totally germ-free. All four of us learned to use a napkin. You could pretend to cough, spit the food into it, and thus was born the Stocks Family Diet. 
If anyone would like a copy of her homemade gravy, we suggest that you don't. She will be sorely missed and survived by, and then it goes on to list her family members. So what I love about this obituary is I read it and I have a very clear picture of who this woman was. I think she's funny. She's a little bit irreverent. She has children who adored her, who she taught many lessons to, and who are now going to pass those lessons on to their children. Sometimes we get caught up in the word legacy being something that's got to be something grandiose, but really it could just be simply the impact we have on the people who are around us. But if thinking about your death is too much, then you can also think about it in a different way. So what would your colleagues at work say about you if you just left tomorrow and never came back? How do your children's friends describe you? When my girls were younger, their friends who would come over for sleepovers always referred to me as the mom who cooked dinner in high heels because I would come home from work and host the sleepover and not bother to change clothes. Um, what would your neighbors say about you to the people who move into your house after you've moved on? And how would your children describe you to their children and grandchildren after you've passed away? These are the traits that people take note of, and that's already your legacy. Well, thinking about this might be a little frightening. It's also an important exercise because there's always time to make changes and thus change those perceptions. So my dad is 83. And in the past year, I've spent more time talking to my daughters about him and the impact that he's made on my life and their lives. And when I asked them to describe him, these are the words that they chose. Storyteller, always working, doing, or fixing something. A card shark, a jokester who loves to laugh, Someone who loves to learn and is always reading the newspaper. A giver, he's always helping other people. And candidly, I got a little choked up during these conversations because until they said those things, it hadn't occurred to me that I am my dad's legacy because every one of those things they identified, with the possible exception of Card Shark, although I do love a good game, applies equally to me. And so that's some legacy. So I have to tell you, after I read that book, and I don't remember what year it came out, but it's been quite a while, right? So I actually did write, start the practice of writing an obituary. And it's funny because I moved about a year ago, and I found something I'd written that was actually, I must have printed it out, and I found it as I was moving and reread it. And the kind of cool thing is, I think when you do go through that practice, like what you're saying, it can help you make some changes if you're saying, oh, you know, I'm kind of not that supportive, and I'd like to be seen as supportive, or whatever the case might be. But when I feel like it's a little bit of goal setting, this is who I would like to be when you write that obituary. And the nice thing is there were a few things I'm like going, yep, well, I didn't come anywhere close to these things. But (laughs) some of these other things I've actually, I I think somebody might say them. So I think that's a really great way to couch it. Right. I agree. I think it it makes you reflect on things a little bit um, and, and you can make some changes now so that you will be remembered how you want to be. So one of the other suggestions I have is um, making a life table. So I moved offices a couple of years ago, and my boss gave me a poster, which is tied to this website called Wait But Why. Um, And this poster includes a series of blocks, one for each year of your life. So you can imagine what this looks like. I mean, it's based on an 85-year lifespan. So there's a million of these little blocks. Um, But you can fill them out however you want. They're literally blank blocks. But the point of the poster is to track what you've already accomplished and also to serve as a constant visible reminder that life is short and you should live each day to the fullest and with intention. 
So as to the former, you have the luxury to choose whatever you want to track, important dates in your life. So that could be marriages, births of children, work promotions, publications, whatever victory you choose. Um, and I would suggest that you pay attention to the victories you choose to highlight. So I included many of the items that I just mentioned, promotions, births of my children, et cetera. But I also chose to highlight weeks of my life when I was traveling. And why did I do that? Well, because travel is part of my identity. I love doing it. I love planning it. I love photographing it. I love sharing it with others. It truly brings me happiness. So when I look back on my life, I want to be reminded of how much time I was able to devote to something that brought me joy. And for me, travel imparting that sense of adventure, wanderlust, and curiosity through travel is one of the most important legacies that I'm leaving for my daughters. So, you know, I'll share a story that kind of goes along with that. I hadn't really heard of the concept of a life table. But when my father passed away, we found in his desk this book where every single year he wrote in it things like, you know, how the Packers, the Green Bay Packers did in football that year, what cars each of us were driving, what relationships we were in, who graduated from where, if, a, you know, somebody, something changed in the family. But it'd be little simple things like the car and who won the College World Series or whatever. And we used to think like, oh, how does he remember all this stuff? And then we found that every year he had this list so we could go through that. He had an entire family history in my father was also a lawyer. So it was a very kind of concise format. And I have to say, oh, I yeah. started that same thing after that, like where I now have that since he's passed away. And that's kind of a cool way of just, you know, here's a little interesting like not like a detailed writing, but just a one page bullet point of, hey, my brother got remarried this year. My niece was the leading scorer on her basketball team, whatever the case might be. Wow. That what what a fantastic gift to get. I mean, even though he didn't literally give it to you, you found it. But what a gift for him to leave behind. Right. Things that you had forgotten. Yep. And we and we didn't even know he was doing it. And I thought, oh, that is really cool. All right. So my last suggestion on ways to identify what you want your legacy to be is um, thinking about what your verse might be. So in the movie, The Dead Poets Society, the English professor, John Keating, um, reads lines to his class from Walt Whitman's poem, O Me, O Life. And the quote he reads is this, O Life, O the questions of these recurring, of the endless trains of the faithless, of cities filled with the foolish. What good amid these, O oh me, O oh life? The answer, that you are here, that life exists an identity, that the powerful play goes on and you may contribute a verse. Professor Keating then goes on to ask his students, what will your verse be? So the verses that you contribute to your life are your legacy. And that's another way to think about how to decide what it is that you want your legacy to be. So let's talk about, you know, once you go about identifying your legacy, how do you go about achieving it? Right, Mary. So identification is the first step, but then implementation is the second. And so while preparing for this podcast, I was talking to a friend with extensive military experience, and he readily analogized this concept to his background and relayed the following system to me. So first, identify the desired end state. So in this context, that's the legacy you want to leave. Second, develop a strategy to achieve that end state. So these are the specific daily, weekly, and yearly interim goals and positions that you will take to make your legacy a reality. 
Third, build the lines of operation to support your strategy. These are the resources you're going to garner to implement your strategy and the actions necessary to achieve those interim goals. And lastly, everything nests into that. No action or asset is wasted. All that you do is focused on promoting the desired end state. So I want to ask you about, you know, why it's so important. And it ought to be obvious why taking the time to craft strategy is important. But I don't know that it always is. I had a conversation this morning at breakfast with somebody and said, wow, you've really accomplished this. What was your strategy? So sometimes we just get lucky. But if you think about that, instead of getting lucky, if you actually craft your strategy, it's a huge difference. So can you speak to that a little bit? Right. So I think the reason I liked this analogy that he gave me is it's a reminder that luck does not always deliver us to where we want to go. Sometimes it does. But um, I, my planner currently has a tracker of habits and use that as a means because, again, I, I'm so literal on breaking things down that I will break down goals into monthly goals and weekly goals. And in some instances, that means daily things that I need to do. And so when you get down in that function, you are less likely to get off track and forget or get misguided. Now, sometimes going through those daily things will also open you up to realize that, you know what, maybe this isn't the right goal for me, right? Maybe, maybe I need to approach this in a different way because I'm really struggling with meeting my interim goals to reach my ultimate long-term strategy. So I think it's important because it, it causes you to make deliberate choices every day so that you're not just sort of wandering around aimlessly relying on luck to deliver you to where you want to get to. So I'm going to sort of ask you an off script question because this is one of the things I found really interesting. So when I first started setting goals and it was with some coaching early in my career, but it was kind of, you know, life goals and career goals all together. And I've always been about having some goals that I want in my personal life and keeping those on track, despite my, you know, with my professional life, making them work, right? And the very first time that I did goals, I um, like got to the end of the year, reviewed those goals, and I'd achieved everything on my list. It was a short list. So then I got greedy and I think I had 100 goals. Wow, this goal setting thing really works. And I set 100 goals and achieved nothing. So I was hoping kind of as we talk a little bit about the implementation process that you might incorporate thoughts on, wow, I have a lot of goals. How do I really prioritize? Because I one time gave a presentation where I talked about, wow, I just need a bigger plate. But what you said earlier is life is short and we don't know exactly how much we're going to get. And so... I don't know exactly how big my plate is, but I know that on a daily basis, it's really easy to take on more than you can keep on the plate. And if you put too many corn cobs on the plate, which I have to say that because I'm in Nebraska, all the corn cobs fall off. So how, <laughs> as you try and implement these goals, do you also select you know, or prioritize them? So um, it's funny that you mentioned 100 goals because I break my goals into basically five categories. So there's... Um, there's the financial goals, professional goals, personal goals, physical goals. And then I call, I have, I have one subset that's called stuff that's bothering me. <laughs> okay. Um, and within each one of those, I don't set more than five. So really each year I have 25 goals, um, five within each category. And I just have to make some judgment calls on what are the most important ones that I want to achieve. And so 
yeah, I think it's great to look back and be able to say I achieved all of them. And then there's also the idea that um, each year you continue to push yourself a little bit more. So, um, but, but part of this conversation about is making sure that those goals are not just willy nilly things, right? So like if your goal is, well, I want to, you know, improve my level of physical fitness. Okay. Well, why? Like, yes, we all want to be healthy, but what's the real reason? Well, it's because you want to live longer. You don't want to have to spend money and resources on seeking health, you know, related treatments because you could better spend that time doing something that brings you happiness. Right. So it's kind of taking those goals and figuring out like, okay, what's the ultimate real goal behind or the ultimate um, legacy behind those goals? If that makes sense. The why question, which we yes, often ignore. Exactly. That's what, yes. you know, it's like, why do I love traveling? Which I heard your passion for that, right? That was really, I loved it because I, you know, I share that passion as I think, you know, and that was really cool. I'm going, oh, so I think the why, when we talk about, even when we're working and we're going to do a podcast on that talks about relationships, sometimes when you're working with somebody or partnering with somebody in some fashion, we always don't identify why. Well, if we wanted to say that, um, you know, is, is there some legacies that anyone can achieve? Definitely. Um, there's legacies that everyone can achieve. And as we, I just want to kind of seg back to something we were talking about. Why, why do this kind of strategic process of identifying these goals? And I think part of it is because doing this exercise will get you clarity on what your legacy, what you want it to be. And it's going to give your life meaning and purpose and then once you know what that you what you want your legacy to be, you can start building it. So it's going to influence how you show up each day, what decisions you make each day. And you'll start living now how you want to be remembered. And you'll start using your resources, your time, talents and treasures in a more strategic way. And so to tie into your question about does it need to be you know something grand or can it be something that is maybe more, I'm going to use the word simple, even though I don't want that to have a negative perception. Um, no, your legacy doesn't have to be something that affects millions of people. If it does, that's fantastic. But realistically speaking, most of us will leave legacies that touch a smaller subset of people. And that doesn't mean they're any less important. It just means that your ripple effect may start a little bit smaller. So some of the areas where you people can consider where they want their legacies to be. And, and remember, it can be more than one. We're not talking about a single legacy. Most of us are going to leave impacts in lots of areas. But on the professional front, you can add knowledge to your field through research findings, new laws, novel theories. You could leave a body of work for future generations to consult. So these are publications, speeches, research. Um, you could start a business that can be passed on to your family or your employees. So think about ESOPs. Those are businesses that don't go on to family members, but they're actually passed down to the employees who helped build those businesses. You can pass down skills and know-how to your colleagues. You can mentor people in a professional context. You could even run for political office or volunteer for the campaign of a candidate whose work you find inspiring. On the financial front, you can leave money for your descendants that will serve as a foundation for their own financial future. You could give money to charities whose causes are near and dear to your heart. On the family front, I would encourage people to write down their family traditions and recipes. Organize your photos in a meaningful way. I mean, now with smartphones, we all have a million photos. If you like to take pictures, you probably have a million photos. The key is then to organize them into something meaningful. So, you know, 
when my first daughter was born, I was a avid scrapbooker and she's got all these cute pages that allowed me to have a creative outlet from an art perspective, but also have a lot of cute stories captured about her. My younger daughter complains because by the time she came around, I didn't have enough time to do that for her. So my goal is to have all those family photos organized on you know, the computer so that when they ultimately get them, it makes sense to them where they were taken, when and why. Um, you can honor and pass down family heirlooms. So I inherited my great grandmother's dining room table several years ago, and it sat in my basement in a kind of unfinished state for a long time. And then last year, I actually took the time to sand it and I stripped the paint off of it. I sanded it and I refinished it. And it now sits in my kitchen and was actually the inspiration for a modeling project. Um, but every day I get to sit at that table and I'm reminded of all of the happy stories that were shared there for generations, the tears that were cried, the contracts that were signed, the birthdays that were celebrated. Um, it's just, it's a really nice way for me to stay in touch with that part of my family. Um, and that includes handmade items too. So your children's holiday ornaments, quilts that have been made, those things hang on to them, pass them on because they will have meaning to somebody. You might also take time to write your own personal memoirs. Um, I think sometimes people view that as kind of like, oh, who would ever want to read my story? But I promise you, you're someone wants to read your story. Take the time to write it down. Um, you could also research your family history and then capture that in some sort of work product that could be enjoyed by others. And then lastly, I, I'm going to kind of talk about the catch-all category, the other. So this isn't necessarily um, professional, financial, or family, but it's other things that you could do that make an impact. So volunteer. Find the organizations that do the things that are important to you and volunteer your time to help them. You could also write a book. And, and this doesn't have to be a money-making adventure. It could simply be about relaying a story that will have a meaning to the people who encounter it. Self-publishing is so readily available and inexpensive now that there really isn't a barrier to writing a book and putting it out there. You could also start a blog so you can share your know-how or your thoughts and feelings about things. You could design a new game. Um, you could start a program in your community to address something that you perceive as a social need. You can mentor. And yes, I'm bringing it up twice because mentoring does not always have to be done in a professional context. It can be done in a personal context as well. Um, teach new generations about your culture's traditions. You could learn and practice critical languages. Um, my family is from Finland. And although I didn't learn to speak Finnish, my daughter has really grasped onto that part of our family history. And she has studied Finnish for nine years. And she's now studying Russian as well. And so she is hanging on to a part of our family tradition, and she will pass that on to her kids. And I think that's pretty cool. Um, and you could write a wrong. So something in the past that you think that needs to be fixed, you could be the one to fix that. So I think a quote from Ray Bradbury's book, Fahrenheit 451, kind of sums it up nicely. Everyone must leave something behind when he dies, my grandfather said. A child or a book or a painting or a house or a wall built, or a pair of shoes made, or a garden planted, something your hand has touched in some way. And when people look at that tree or that flower you're plant, you planted, you're there. That's really powerful, Crystal. Thank you. I have to share a sort of amusing mentoring story. Mentoring is one of my passions, both professionally and personally. I just, you know, a lot of times get asked by uh, various people. So there's this young woman I was mentoring who 
we were talking about her 21st birthday and what she said, well, for my 21st birthday, what I want is for you to take me to New York City. And I kind of laughed. And what you have to know is that I love going to New York City. And she'd been, I'd been seeing, you know, working with her. She was interning for me. And so over last summer, I was there like four or five times and I'd come back and I'd put all my pictures, you know. And so I ended up taking this young woman to New York City for her 21st birthday. So that was great. It was a fabulous experience. But now, and I'm going, I'm, I'm hoping her mother is still okay with this because she now wants to move to New York City. <laughs> Has asked me to connect her to some lawyers in New York City because she is a future lawyer. But do you have any last thoughts? It's hard to beat that last quote that you gave, but anything wow. you well, want to add? I said, what a compliment that someone wanted to celebrate their 21st birthday with you in New York City. I mean, is that like, amazing? That, I was like, that is amazing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I was, I was actually, I thought she was joking, but she really meant it. So I'm like, who's going to turn down that? I wouldn't. I would have totally <laughs> I took gone her. with you. <laughs> right? Yeah. So in terms of last thoughts, I would just say that leaving a legacy is something that we all consciously or subconsciously want to do. Because I think it's human nature to want to be remembered in some way after we're gone. So I just hope that this podcast has given your listeners some food for thought on how to take that Mark Twain quote about the day you were born and then figuring out why and putting that into action. Oh, I think it would take a couple listens to this episode to really absorb it. I think you gave a lot of great information. I really appreciate it, Crystal. So as we reach the end of our episode, I want to thank our sponsors, Interactive Legal, Carson Private Client, and Foster Group. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to today's episode and stay tuned for our weekly releases. Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries is made available by the firm and its attorneys for educational purposes and to provide general information, not to provide specific legal advice. Use of the Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast does not create an attorney-client relationship between you and the firm or any of its attorneys. The Vandenack Weaver Trulson Legal Visionaries podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice, and you should contact an attorney in your state about any legal needs or questions you may have. A Huda Media Production.